I want you to, um, I hope, I know last week um, was a bit of a, a moment for you. I left you a special sermon. Did you enjoy it? Yeah. At least I think ahead a little bit, right? And I tried to help you a little bit. And um, this sermon today is um, uh, designed to talk about going forward when things change. Specific topic is gifted. You're gifted to fight forward when things change. I, I wanted to do a Q&A, but because um, time, I may not be able to do that today in this service because of the time. But I, I'll, I'll give some answers to some questions that I think you would ask me. Uh, during the election period, I, I could not endorse a candidate because that's just part of the rules. Um, um, uh, I found that Lyndon Johnson um, uh, kind of came up with that. I think it was 1954. I may be wrong, but I remember the year. I was a senator at the time. If, I, if my facts, I hope my facts are right here. But uh, and they they gave churches have a a nonprofit status, um, which allows them to receive money without being taxed. And part of that agreement was you would not have churches being able to endorse candidates and then take tax-free money because what would happen is people would um, use churches as a place to um, this, this was the thinking to sort of hide money so you just give the church a million dollars the church can import, support your candidate and then it would all be legal and then they get a write-off for the for the million dollars that makes sense so what they said was, okay, if you want to write off or not be taxed as a church, then you can't, you know, you can't endorse candidates. So you keep it separate because people would do that. Maybe you wouldn't do it, but they would give $10 million to overcome by faith, and then I support all the local candidates. They want to support it. They get $10 million write-off, so the government's literally paying to support a candidate. Does that make sense? So... That was the trade-off. Now, you may disagree with that, and that may be, you know, I'm not, that's just what I understood the reasoning to be. And so as a nonprofit with a, um, with a nonprofit status, and we do have that, it, it's, it's um, that, that's the requirement. So a, a person who's mean could listen to me, tape it, and send it in and say, see, IRS, look what he did, and, you know, and if, if I'm not supporting your candidate. But now that it's over, <laughs> and it don't matter what I think now, <laughs> I can say a thing too more that I probably would say. And, and I, I don't want to turn this sermon into a political sermon. I, I, I do want to say that my bottom line is you have to move forward. And you are gifted to do that. And understanding that things do change. And if you can't move forward when things change, then that's a maturity issue. And I mean that with all love and respect. You have to be the kind of person that can say, um, the, the guy divorced me, he got somebody else, and I can't die over it. She left me. The job is over. That particular career is no longer in place. They don't. Horse and buggies was once a big money thing, but <laughs> all right now, can't make much money in horse and buggy. 
so I need to find something else. The railroad was really great. Now it's planes. People are flying in planes and cars. They don't need the railroad like they used to. I can't get stuck in the railroad business and say, you know, that's not the main way they transport people anymore. They transport people that way, but it's not the main way. When you run for an election, you have great passion, you have great opinions, and you lose or you win, whatever happens, that's over now. And if you stay there and you think that way, you lose. And then if you don't see the bigger picture, here's the bigger picture. Jesus knew their thoughts, Matthew 12, 25, and said to them, every kingdom, every country, every community, every city, every kingdom, divided against itself, is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself will not stand. Say that with me, please. Come on. Will not stand. Say it one more time. Come on. Will not stand. This is true. Now, so you have to be clear about that. We're all Americans. Your view, your thoughts, your, your positions on different things is, um, is that. It's your view. And I understand that. Um, um, I, I, I get that. I do think, uh, and I'm, I'm going to be very honest this time. I'm not, gonna, I'm not being political with you. I'm not going to, you know, dodge around anything. I'm just going to tell you how I think so you can put it out there. And, and, I, and I think it's important because you need that. I think we need that. Uh, and I want to try to help you see how I try to see this from, from what I believe is a biblical perspective. There is a influence is very powerful. Um, people that are in authority... Um, if you met some of the news guys on the street and they just talked to you, you wouldn't, they wouldn't have the influence they have over you. Put them in a suit, put them behind a camera, and they become these authorities. And so you can watch a speech and hear a person give a speech and have a totally different view of it. And they'll say, that was the worst thing ever. And you go, oh, what? that was the worst thing ever. You know? <laughs> and you start struggling with, your opinion and their opinion. And then they get a panel of 10 people and you go, oh, well, all of them agree with the guy, so I'm the only one out. So I'm, I'm going to switch my view and now agree with him. That was the worst speech ever. And you lose your individuality, your ability to have your opinion. Before you heard their opinion, your opinion was. And so we get swayed a lot. There is a place I'm, I want to show you. I want you to go to. It's um, rickytemple.com. Say that with me, please. Come on. It's kind of like my little web place where I put all my stuff. So if you want to be nosy, what I'm preaching about, my, what I preached on in Africa, you can go and click on it and see my Nigerian notes. All my sermons I did there, you can be nosy. It's all great. And then it has on the road. If you click on menu, it says on the road with the pastor. And it, it has all kinds of choices. And at the very top, it says read with the pastor. So rsekytemple.com. Click on menu, read with the pastor. And the books that I'm reading normally are listed there. My current books. So I'll have like, I think, seven books up there now. And so you can read them. We number them, one through seven. And the, the top one's probably the one I'm reading now. And sometimes I have to switch them. Okay, I've read that one, and that goes to the bottom, and I'll leave it up there for a while. But I'll, I'll, I won't wrap, cloud you with too many books, but I'm, I have a lot that I'm working through most of the time. And one of the books I'm reading right now is a book by um, Margaret uh, Finnerman, I think is her name, and it's called, um, it's, boy, it's been helping me so much. It's called, uh, I want to show you the name of it. It, it, it just, 
It's been one of those incredible reads. I bought the Audible video version of it, which has helped me a lot because sometimes for me, um, my I've discovered that I do better listening to it. And there's a way you can note in an in Audible book, which is like so cool, in the, in the app that's the, uh, the um, Amazon app. There's a way you can do that. It's just really cool. And so I can pause it, make a note, and then it transfers it to my written, because I buy the book too. I'm really, don't, don't follow me. I'm, I'm really, don't, don't do what I do. I buy the Audible book and the written thing, and they sync, and I have all these cool notes, and I can keep up with it and tell you about it. See, if I didn't do that, I couldn't tell you about it, right? So say, spend that money, Pastor. Come on, spend that money. That's right. Even though this is my money. I buy all my books myself, uh, and that's just part of my deal. I, you know, but, but there's a book called Willful Blindness by Margaret Heffernan, H-E-F-F-E-R-N-A-N. And, it's, and, and the subtitle of the book is why we, ignore, why We Ignore the Obvious at Our Own Peril. Why do we see things? And, and she chronicles all these stories of people who do things. And the term intentional, the term intentional blindness really is a term that uses a legal term. And what they say is you have the potential to know this, but you chose to be blind. You should have known going at that speed you could hurt somebody. And, but you chose to go at that speed anyway. You took the chance. You were intentionally blind. And, and, and how intentional blindness cannot be used as a defense in some cases. In some countries, they let you do that. But, but for the Holocaust, uh, people who committed those atrocities, they couldn't say I was under orders, and therefore I'm not responsible. You, you could have known. You should have known that. And so part of what I think I'm beginning to understand is that when I deal with certain people, they blind me. The news media can blind me. And I end up in these debates with people swapping what this news reporter said against what that news reporter said, whether it's Fox against CNN, and you're debating what these people have written on a piece of paper and they tell you. And, And that becomes the authority from which you speak. And I think in many ways... I, I'm a news geek. I watch it all. But I felt during a period of this, I was getting overwhelmed. I felt sick, literally. I felt as if I was mentally exhausted. And I, I found myself having strong anti-feelings. And there is this, this danger when you look at a guy like Donald Trump who is, um, I mean, just at times awful. Just some of the things he said were just awful. And he even says they were awful. <laughs> and there are things that you hear about Hillary uh, Clinton, and you just, you know, you go from, you know, feeling like, well, gosh, let the email thing go and get, get on with it and, I have pastor friends, you know, and I have friends, you have to understand, I have friends who are at the forefront of Republican cabinet who advised him. And I have, I mean, these are good friends of mine. And we had tremendous conversations. So I have, um, I have all these relationships on both sides of that, 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 that coin. People who are close to Hillary, who um, cared about, you know, Obama, and, and so... In talking to all my friends on both sides of the river, 
I knew in the black community particularly there was this tremendously anti-Trump thing that was strong. And I understood that, that Hillary brought to the table, I thought, some sensitivities that were very important to, to a specific need in the country. I couldn't imagine, I didn't imagine that Trump would win, just so you'll know that. I'm putting that out there right now because it don't matter now. I can say what I want to say. I was shocked as you were shocked, and I think he was shocked too. <laughs> they were preparing to lose. They were not preparing to, in my opinion. I, I mean, there's no way that all the polls were this wrong and all of that. But at the end of the day, a house divided cannot stand. And so here comes this question. How could somebody so terrible who said all these terrible things, do all these terrible things, how could he possibly be voted in by the people? What in the world happened? Well, evangelical church was at, the, was at the forefront of that. And that concerned me. Let me tell you why. First of all, I think that um, obviously there's exaggerations on both sides. I'll give you an example. One of our members spoke to me, and he said he voted for Trump. Here's what he told me. When I was in school, Trump came to our school, and Trump, before he was at this level, he sponsored our entire class to go to college. That's what he told me. He said, that's the Trump I know. All this other stuff, man, I don't know. But, but he's followed me for years. Now, that was his story. Black guy, by the way. So, what do I say to him? Now, now, I'm not trying to say that justifies anything. But see, take the news media, take, and it doesn't. It doesn't justify anything, okay? I'm not trying to do that. But I want you to hear me for a second. This is important. It's, 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 we are professionals who have been informed by professionals. And so, when you're in this place, I don't want to belittle what that guy said to me. I don't have a right to do that. And I don't have the right to, on the other side of the coin, friends of mine who just had tremendous trouble getting past what the professional said about Hillary and all that. And I think that whole thing, let me tell you what I think is a disservice to all of us, the way that all did, the way all the professionals acted. I would just rather you argue the issues. Leave the personal insults out. Leave the jokes out. Leave all that out. And just, just tell us. Come on. Come on. Amen. Tell us the issue. It's an embarrassment around the world. When I traveled, I heard all these questions. And here's, here's what they, they, the, the feeling was. And I was in France. I've been in France. I've been in the Netherlands on this trip. I've been in uh, Paris. Not just Paris, right? I've been in London. I was because my plane broke and I had to travel around the world to get there. <laughs> it had 10 hours to my trip. It was interesting. But everywhere I went, I would hear comments and questions. And I felt embarrassed for us. Not, not just because of who won, because I want to put that in quotes. Get, get past. They look at us and say, what a childish display. But then here's the good part about it. We had the right to display it. Another guy I spoke with said to me, 
um, he said, uh, they have a president, I won't say what country, and he said, I was an African country when I heard say it, and he said, um, the president stays as long as he has a big gun. He who has the biggest gun rules. It's not like that here. You may not like Trump, but you better be glad that he who has the biggest gun doesn't win. Come on, say amen louder than that. Amen. I mean, that's the reality for folks. When I show you the video of where I was and, and the other day, and um, security, and there's no 911, and um, if you call the police, they say, we don't have a car, we don't have any transportation, we can't come out right now. So pray, talk to your God. I saw a car wreck right in front of me uh, leaving Lagos, and they didn't, and they just had to sort it out themselves. And they were holding up traffic, arguing about the car. You hit my car. And the, my guys got out and went and said, could you move your car? And then they started in Yoruba, and they were going back and forth. And it was, it, it really, if somebody hits your car, you negotiate on the spot. There's, you know, that's how you fix it. In America, you, what do you do? There ain't no police to call. They ain't got no car to come. <laughs> it's not, it's not coming. So you have to negotiate. And it was, that's not, not that bad. It's not that bad. Look, it's just a little dent. No, it's not. You hit my car. And it was back and forth and back and forth. I'm sitting there. I got to get to the airport, man. <laughs> Come on, bro. And so he got out the car, and they finally moved. And they just went their own separate ways. Now, that's, that's hilarious to you. But that's courageous because they make it work. And that's, not, that's true in Brazil. There's a lot of places around the world you can't say anything bad about the leadership. You'll become missing. Oh, yeah. There are things you can't do. And when you go to foreign countries, you have to understand their rules are different. And this is when you understand how good your system is. So flawed as it is, troubled as it is, problematic, it's still the best system in the world. Come on. It's still the best system in the world. So let me give you, if I can, um, first of all, um, my big point for the day. Repeat it with me, please. Say, we must move forward. And fight, together, and fight together, or we all lose. Or we, all lose. we all lose. Now, now, when the next election comes, if you're one of those who didn't go, you go vote now. <laughs> if you don't like the end of the results, then you go and you vote. Okay? Take your whole family with you next time everybody gets that. I, I think what was tragic is it drove down the vote, all the negative environment. I think it's 18 million people didn't vote that voted last time. That, that whole thing is tragic. But to me, our politicians, the environment they allowed, that's something we have to change. But let me give you seven things that we make fighting, that, uh, make fighting for it difficult and almost impossible. These are seven things that will make it impossible for you to fight for it. Number one, it's tough to fight for it together when you're afraid. Filling the air with fear is one thing that just makes people paralyzed because they're nervous. Secondly, it's tough to fight forward together if you, if you fight old battles. You're talking about old stuff, I did, you did, and you're living in the past. In your marriages, some of you, that's why you're having trouble, because you keep fighting old battles. You don't fight the new battles. The things that we did, are we dealing with in 2016? 
you're always dealing with stuff you did before. Are you saying that stuff doesn't matter? No, it does matter. But at some point, you've got to settle the old and move on. We can't keep fighting this battle. We can't keep fighting this election battle. We must now fight new battles. And we must find out where those battles are, and then we must fight those battles. Right, say amen if you hear what I'm saying to you. Amen. Number three, it's tough to fight forward together. And notice I, the word together I put in bold prints all the way down because I want you to see the power of Say it together, please. Come on. Together. Yeah. It's tough to fight forward together if you only goal is to criticize and again that's why some of your relationships don't work well because you when you approach a conversation I want to show you what's wrong with you I want, I want you to see what you need to do for yourself and that's the whole conversation number four it's tough to fight forward together if you don't care about the world around you I have to care about everybody I have to care about poor blacks I have to care about people that are living in, un, in poverty. I have to care about people that don't have insurance. I have, to care, I have to care about those 20 million people. I have to care about that that didn't have insurance. I have to care about the 10 million more who don't. I have to care of the 90%, the 10% of our country that does not. It's 90% that have it, 10% that don't. I have to care about those people. But I have to care about poor white people. I have to care about people who live in the inner city and people who live in the suburbs and people who live in the farmlands. I have to care about everybody. I have to care about middle America. I can't just care about Atlanta and Savannah and, and L.A. I have to care about everybody. And I want you to think for a second, as a Christian, that's the perception, and, and, and I'll say this lovingly, the evangelical church is, is, in my opinion, is running the risk of being branded as not caring about all of it. And I've said that to them. I said, you have to be careful. The black church and the evangelical church doesn't need to split over this. There doesn't need to be this division that becomes so divisive that we can't exist. But I do think it's healthy to talk about it. And it's healthy to talk, to talk in a way that says, I care about the whole world. And now that's something for President Trump to be, to prove. That you care about everybody. Now, now you're in, if you've got the wheel, now we'll, we'll just hold you to that. Say amen if you hear me. Number five, it's tough to fight forward together if you only know one view of an issue. Now, listen to me. One view of an issue. If you only know one view, one way of seeing it, of any issue, look at your relationships and you've seen trouble when you do that. I have to swap. And black people have to swap with white people and white people have to swap with black people and Hispanic people. You have to care about those 20 million immigrants, 11 million immigrants, almost 20 million when you put the children in there. You have to think about what that means to say you're going to herd them up and have a de deportation force. I'm totally against that. Because I understand what that would mean. We're not looking for totalitarian leadership. We're not looking for people to take charge. And, but, but shouldn't we secure the borders? Absolutely we should. But there's a way to do it. But see, it, it, and it's important in this country that you have the right to say that. Nobody's going to come get me tomorrow because I said that. Say amen. Y'all going to protect me, right? Okay, anyway. Number, <laughs> number five. It's tough. It's tough to fight forward together if you only know one view of an issue. Number six. It's tough to fight together if you only want to conquer those around you. The Republicans want to beat the Democrats, and the Democrats want to smash the Republicans. And then everybody wants to smash everybody. Boy, this is sad. 
So we'd be happy if the other side lost and we won and vice versa. So, you know, it's 50-50 almost. You, you have to understand more people voted for Hillary in number than voted for Clinton. So we ignore who? Who do we ignore in this? Obama won, but 45% of people didn't vote for him. You have to understand the power of that 45% of the population. That's millions of people. Do you care about those people as a Christian? My concern, again, with the evangelical church is if we're not careful, we'll communicate to people we don't care. So people don't agree with us on abortion. I am personally anti-abortion. But, okay, so what? They don't agree with me. So what do I do with a gay guy who wants to be gay, who doesn't, but he needs a job? What do I do with him? What do I do with a person who has a different view than I have? How do I exist? Do I say you can't work for me? I have a company. I don't hire you because you're gay. Is that fair? Or I fire you because you're gay. Is that fair? Well, you, I may think it's fair. And by the way, in, in Africa, it's illegal. No, let me be clear. It's illegal to be gay in many parts of Africa. Definitely in Nigeria. So where would your cousin be, your nephew be, people that you know in your family? What if they came and rounded them all up? Not that they do that in Nigeria, but I'm just saying, what if that were the case? Where does the boundaries go? Where do the lines go? See, I may, I may disagree, but if, if I'm not careful, I'll get into a place where I am. I'm willing to divide and conquer. And when I get to that mindset, that's a slippery slope. Because as long as I got the biggest gun, it's okay because it's my way. And if we rule that way, and that's why I didn't like the tone. I didn't think some of the stuff that Trump said in the tone was right. I thought some of his tone might have, people might like all that, you know, rare, rare above fight. I thought, you need to tone this down now because you're representing everybody. You got to find a way to represent everybody. And I think at this point, my prayer is that the reality of the job brings you to that soberness. And how many believe that God, like I said last night, Proverbs 21, the Lord is still Lord. Come on, say amen. amen. Come on, the Lord is still Lord. Amen. Number seven, it's tough to fight forward together if you only like being around people like you. Now, that's where I want to close with this point. This is the book uh, that I, I, I read, I told you, it's called um, Willful Blindness by Margaret Heffernan. And in this book, she makes some statements that I want to just quote to you. And I normally don't read this much material, but I want to read it to you because what I want you to understand is one of the big points in the book is about sameness. Say that word with me, please. Come on. Sameness. We have a tendency to want everything to be the way we are. So listen to what she says. Across the United States, the journalist Bill Bishop studied this pattern and found um, and this is in the chapter, by the way, called Affinity and Beyond. It's chapter one. And it's intentional blindness, demanding everything be the same. That's what this chapter is about, that we demand everything be the same. Across the United States, the, journal, the journalist Bill Bishop studied this plot pattern and found that over the last 30 years, most Americans had been engaged in moving toward more homogeneous or of the same ways of living. Uh, clustering in communities of all of like-mindedness. In 2008, 34 million people, 11.9% of the population, moved. And that was the lowest rate of migration since 1959. When people, and when people move, they mostly 
choose to live among people who are like the same, who like the same coffee shops, bookstores, festivals, and politics. Politics. We are moving where all the Republicans live in the same area, all of the Democrats. If you look at the map, there's this migration starting to happen. Bishop argues that we have come to demand living arrangements that won't challenge us. We seek confirmation and validation from those around us. Robert Burton is the former chief of neurology at Mount Zion UCF Hospital. He's very aware that it is in its endless search for, mis for matches, our brain rejects information that might broaden our outlook. That your brain literally does this when you hear something that's not like something you're familiar with or you like. Our brains um, reject information that might broaden our outlook, widen our gaze, or make us just a little less certain. Imagine the gradual formation of, of a riverbed. Now, I want you to picture this. This is how they, he describes this happens. The initial flow of water might be completely random. There are no preferred routes in the beginning. But once a creek is formed, water is more likely to follow this newly created path of least resistance. As the water continues, the creek deepens and a river develops. It's beautiful, it's a beautiful metaphor and useful one to, um, to make this point. The longer we live and the more we accumulate similar experiences, friends and ideas, the faster and more easily the water flows. There's less and less resistance. The absence of resistance produces a sense of ease and comfort and of certainty. Yet at the same time, the sides of the river, riverbed grow higher. As we pursue like-minded people in like-minded communities doing similar jobs in homogeneous corporate cultures, the riverbed sinks deeper and deeper. Its, its sides become steeper and steeper. Hope you're following me. It feels good. The flow is efficient and unimpeded. You just can't see anything. This is how willful blindness begins. Not in consciousness, not deliberately, not a deliberate choice to be blind, but in a scheme of decisions that slowly but surely restrict our view. We don't sense our perspective closing in, and most would prefer that it stay abroad, stay broad and rich. But our blindness grows out of the small daily decisions that we make, which embed us more smugly inside our affirming thoughts and values. Hope you got it all. And what's most frightening about this process is that we, as we see less and less, we feel more and more comfortable. Look at that. We feel more comfort and great certainty. We think we see more even as the landscape shrinks. Now, let me just in simple terms say this. The riverbed, the, the water flows, goes into a creek, deepens, the creek becomes a river, the river begins to have these river beds, and he said, that's your mind. And, you, and the more you are around the same, you, it deepens, and it becomes a conviction. And now you have a river conviction, and your family is just like that. That's why, and her point is, that's why you can't change the mind. They are, they're blind, and they think the way they see it, because this river is all I know, overcoming by faith. African-American, American. And so this is the world. Is it really? Is it all there is? And that's the point. 
things that, that concern me about, as I, as I said, our Christian church, is I think there's a riverbed that has developed in our thinking as Christians that make us think we're right about everything. We have an assumption of revelation and spiritual clarity about all government policies. We apply our favorite scriptures to our favorite issues. We have one main goal, salvation for, for everybody, not housing and jobs. We want people to give us, give to us, but we don't teach people to build wealth. We don't um, like to be questioned about the value we bring to the practical issues in the world. And I, th I think one of the things that concerns me too is not only that we have the assumption of revelation, we know because we know God, we, we are right. But secondly, I think the lack of strategy and measurable commitment. What does the church do? Here's a criticism of the church. Tell me what you do besides gathering and, and, and have a preacher talk to you about God. What do you do in the world? What sacrifices do you make? Who do you go help? Our church cannot be just here. The world that's coming with the millennials will challenge our right to exist. And they will challenge our right to be funded. And so we have to have measurable ways more than just spiritual statements. We, we strategize for foreign missions and local converts better than local needs. The church at large. There, there's a lot of local needs that we, we mis misplace. We strategize for church expansions and political conquests. We want to win somebody to Christ. But we do that with scary pride, I call it. Do I care? I think there's a painful price to pour in unrepresented pay when the, healthy, when the wealthy fight. The people in this election were all wealthy. And the people that lose the most are the poor people. I said that to our city officials here, and I said it regarding our national officials. We need to care about everybody. But here's the bottom line. If we divide, we lose. So we pray for our president. We pray for our nation. We pray for Republicans. We pray for Democrats. Are you mad? Good. I'm glad you got the right to be mad. I'm glad somebody died putting that uniform on and then fought for you so you could have an have a attitude. I don't like Trump. Well, that's good. This, uh, praise God. Just don't say you're going to harm him because they'll come get you. You know? <laughs> but I'm glad somebody, anybody in the, uh, wore that uniform, stand on your feet. You wore that uniform. Stand on your feet. Stand on your feet. You wore that uniform. You fought for this country. Come on, give them a big hand. Now, these people, I'm going to remain standing. These people fought. These are the boys we send. When the man with the big gun shows up, we call y'all. You know you come and running, don't you? Jump out the helicopters. You flying. And what do you say? We're not going to have any of that. Overcome by faith and have church. And they're not going to be afraid because we're going to come. We're going to come get you. Thank God for them. Give them a big hand again. I appreciate you so much. Be seated. Now, that's not a perfect, perfect uh, answer. I have another service, so I can't do Q&A. Q&A would be nice right here, wouldn't it? I would love to, but I, I just really can't because I, I got to let the other group get in here. And there won't be space for them. So, um, well, I'll, I'll take, I ain't got five minutes. Can we do it? Can we do it at the same time we take the offering? Can we do it? Right, let's pray for the offering. Father, we pray for this offering we're about to receive. We pray your blessings upon it. We ask you in Jesus' name to bless what's given today. We sow our seed, understand the power of tithes and offerings. We believe, Lord God, that as we give, we bless the church so we can do the things we talked about today, intentionally making a difference in the world. 
I give you all the praise and I give you all the glory. You are the Lord above all this. And we will not be part of the division. We're going to watch what we say. We're not going to have an attitude. We're going to say this battle is over. We'll fight future battles in the future. But right now, we're going to pray and believe the word of God that no weapon formed against us will prosper. And so we thank you. We lift up before you, Healer. We pray for grace in her heart during the season of adjustment and change. A loss can be hard. We pray for peace. We pray for Obama. We ask you as he transitions out, peace in his life and heart. We pray for our senators and congressmen. We lift them all up before you and pray for peace in Jesus' name. And everybody say amen. amen. All right, here's what we're going to do. Now, I'm going to let you go ahead and prepare your tithes and offerings. Man, I'm out of time. I'm like so out of time. Uh, here's the deal. I'm so